You need more than just technology to make a lasting change in this world. And that's why Neon One offers a nonprofit platform that's designed to grow with you, providing software and resources that help nonprofit professionals make their connections that matter. Connections with their peers, connections with their supporters, and connections with their mission. Learn how Neon One makes it easy to design amazing generosity experiences by visiting neonone.com slash weareforgood. Hey, I'm John. And I'm Becky. And this is the We Are For Good podcast. Nonprofits are faced with more challenges to accomplish their missions and the growing pressure to do more, raise more, and be more for the causes that improve our world. We're here to learn with you from some of the best in the industry, bringing the most innovative ideas, inspirational stories, all to create an impact uprising. So welcome to the good community. We're nonprofit professionals, philanthropists, world changers, and rabid fans who are striving to bring a little more goodness into the world. So let's get started. Becky, can we be any more excited right now? I mean, I want to sing the Sound of Music song, My Favorite <laughs> Things, because this is all of my favorite things converging today. I mean, we are talking about the potential of Gen Z. We are talking about how to help and save the environment. We are talking about something that started with Reddit. And I got to back everybody up because we're about to introduce you to Lissy Garvin, who is a powerhouse and a rising superstar in tackling the climate change crisis that we're all sitting in here. But this is an ungettable get day because through the uh, thing that we all make fun of me for, which is my absolute obsession and love with Reddit and the way that it builds <laughs> digital community and shares ideas, we kind of discovered Alexis O'Hannon, who is just this incredible founder and force for good and just an incredible equity investor. We've talked about him on the podcast of what he's done with uh, paid parental leave and and the way he shows up for women. But now Reddit was really funded by the 776 Project and Fund, and they have had an offshoot now, the 776 Foundation, which is investing in young people who are tackling the climate change crisis. So I want to introduce Lissy to you. She is the program director of the 776 Foundation and the Fellowship Program, which was started in March 2020 by founder Alexis O'Hannon. And they really wanted to fund problem solvers who are combating inequity worldwide on the climate issue. So they seeded $20 million toward climate change issues through this fellowship program. And it's a two-year program for young people who are wanting to build a better future. So John, think about this. It is qualified for, for I say kids, but Lissy tells me they're youth. So I'm going to say youth, but I'm getting older. <laughs> for youth that are 18 to 23 years old, it's a cash grant of $100,000 and they go in and they use what they know. They use their passion, creativity, ingenuity, and innovation, and they are solving problems. So we are going to dive into how they're doing it. They have their first cohort together. And I just want to say, Lissy was also the founding chief of staff for not only Reddit and initialized capital, but just for all of O'Hannon's great projects. So I want to give a shout out to Adam Miller, who's one of our rabid fans in the community who made this connection to Lissy. And we're excited to talk about the potential of Gen Z today. Lissy, welcome to the We Are For Good podcast. Wow, that was an amazing intro. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, well, 
girl, you did all of that. And we're so proud and geeked <laughs> out about right? it. We had to cut it back. <laughs> totally. We did have to cut it back. But I think we have so many people that listen to this podcast who are really wanting to know where are the innovators in the sector right now? And not just a nonprofit. We're looking at social enterprise. We're looking at B Corps. We're looking at where social impact investors really changing the narrative and getting a lot of traction. And we think you're on to something really incredible here because we believe so deeply in the power of Gen Z. But before we dive into this program, which is extraordinary, we want to get to know you first. And so we want you to take us back to like little Lissy growing up in (laughs) Omaha, Nebraska. Like, tell us about sort of your lived experience and what led you to really be passionate about this work today. Yeah, wow. That's... uh... I haven't lived in Nebraska in a long time, but I, <laughs> it is home to me and I am very, very fond of Omaha. And I think that, you know, my parents were very encouraging of a, like telling me to spread my wings and travel and have life experiences. My mom born and raised in Scotland. I don't think she ever saw herself living in Nebraska, maybe not even the United States. So I think I get a lot of that from her. And I, in my 20s, moved to San Francisco and I was working at a private equity firm there. I had an amazing boss, Orlando Bravo, who actually really like opened my eyes to philanthropy. He's from Puerto Rico and the amount that he has done there is amazing. And we can get into that later. But um, I, when I was living in San Francisco, I kept thinking that I wanted to get into this tech thing that everyone was doing in the Bay Area. And I knew that the Bay Area wouldn't be home for forever. And so I started interviewing at all of these big tech companies. And I think it was someone at Pinterest was like, oh, Reddit is hiring. The founders just returned to the company. Like, you should go check it out. So I go home, I like Google, what is Reddit? Um, and <laughs> every news article that came up was basically screaming, like, do not work here. If they had just gone through revenge porn, like three different CEOs. And it was like not the place anyone was jumping to work. And I go in, I did the interviews anyway, despite all the news articles. Um, and I go in <laughs> and I meet with Alexis and Steve and I'm sitting there and I'm hearing like everything that they want to do for this company that they built and had left for eight, nine years. And I was like, wow, there is like a lot of meaningful change that could happen that I could be a part of. And so despite my recruiter's best efforts to tell me to say no, I took the job (laughs) and I was Alexis's chief of staff there for a couple of years When I started, I think there were like 45 employees. By the time I left, there were probably 500. And now they have thousands all over the world. And then I moved over to Initialized Capital, which was the first venture fund that Alexis started with Gary Tan. And I loved working there. I loved meeting with founders. It was really exciting to have this wide range of different companies that you're interacting with on a daily basis. And also listening to Alexis speak to these founders and how like excited and hyped he was about what they were building. I'm like, how do you like already see that when they don't even have a pitch deck? Like they're just telling you this idea and you're like so in it. Um, And so like having that experience was amazing. And uh, two years ago, the tragic murder of George Floyd happened and Alexis had been pounding the table at Reddit to get 
some very specific subreddits removed. He was only one vote out of five and it was not happening. So he ultimately stepped away from the board in this company that, you know, was his first baby that he created. And at the same time, he was thinking a lot about like first principles. And we were talking about what does that look like starting companies from the ground up and hiring and all of those things. And so it made sense for him to leave Initialize as well and start 776 The Fund. So when he asked me to join the fund, I was like, absolutely. Like, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to get to build something from the ground up with like your principles, things that you care about. And then six months ago, Alexis launched 776 The Foundation, which is the sister company to the fund. Um, And now we have this fellowship program that you mentioned in the beginning with the youth. They're 18 to 23 years old. And yeah, that's like, I guess, Omaha, a few things happened in between San Francisco. (laughs) But I was laughing because the other day, it was my seven year anniversary of working for Alexis. And I have now, this will be my fourth like venture with him. So big believer in everything he is doing. He is one of the greatest humans I will ever work for. I always joke and say that he'll be my last boss. (laughs) Ever. Such a good human and such a great pancake maker. Like he does all the things, right? Exactly. He really does. I'm just hearing you and just fist bumping of just like, I'm so proud like of each step that you just went for it, you know, and like what an incredible life experience you had because you stepped a little bit into the unknown and you just faced it. And what um, a lens now you have for the work that y'all are doing that puts you categorically in this real innovation hub that's changing the way people think about going to school or even think Mm -hmm. about how to approach change. And so I want to give you a second to just talk about 776. I feel like it's named a seven. I need to know the story of that, but maybe it's after your seven years. I don't know. I need to hear this. (laughs) But um, tell us like the scope of y'all's work, the history, a little bit of like the programs, just to give us context before we jump into the fellowship. Well, just in case anyone is wondering, 776 BCE was the first ever Olympic activity and it was a race, a foot race in the known world. So in Greece, so the only people that participated in it were the known world, so Greek, and there are two parts to it. A local chef got off his shift and entered the race and he ended up winning. So he beat all of these athletes who had been training for this race. But the second part is that women were not only allowed to not participate, but they were also not even allowed to watch. And so the whole concept is going back to that very first starting line and redoing like the way everything is viewed and who's allowed to be in the conversation and who's allowed to be participating. Um, so that's where 776 BCE uh, comes from. What a from. centering no story kidding. to the and entire And the equity work. baked into it. Also Crap, the little guy. I'm so guy. glad you went there. Love <laughs> it. Yeah, it's like, um, I know I think people are always curious what it means and no one really asks. And it's, yeah, it's an important story to the fund. And, you know, it is Alexis's legacy. So he took like a lot of thought and care into what it was going to be. I mean, it could have been like Ohanian Fellows, but like, that didn't feel super good. So yeah, 776. And uh, so the fund that is two years old now and the they're investing in everything from Web3 to 
Climate Tech to there's a low carb bagel company, um, Better Bagel. So like <laughs> yeah. it really runs. Keto lovers are They are amazing. You can get them now at most grocery stores. Like I just get mine at the Whole Foods down the street. They're really good. I'm obsessed with them. And then the foundation. So we are six months old and our first initiative is this climate fellowship program. And we basically asked young people, 18 to 23, to submit their ideas, companies, nonprofits, research that they were working on to combat climate change. And we ended up having 650 plus applications. And that was, I mean, the foundation had just launched. Like we didn't really have any press. Like this was all just word of mouth. Like I was reaching out to every nonprofit that I had a connection to. And I was like, hi, can you please blast this? Like I'm trying to reach the youth. Like I don't know the youth. <laughs> send us to it to us next time. Let's see. We'll yes, blast it out to absolutely. our group. March, 2023. You got it. It's I'm on sorry. the radar. And so I was overwhelmed by the amount of people that applied and like all of their ideas, everything. It was really hard for me to, I interviewed the top 45 and Alexis interviewed the top 25. And I think the cutting it from the 45 to the 25 was the absolute hardest part because they're just, they're all, they all want to fix everything. Like we gave them this earth that basically isn't in an amazing position. And they kind of are like, well, we don't really have any other solutions than to figure it out for ourselves. And so, yeah, they're 18 to 23. They're all over their world. We have someone in Kenya, South Africa, India, Scotland, a handful in the States. So yeah, large representation, more women than men in the group, which... I love. <laughs> sorry, I too. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> and the process, I should say, because I the women thing, but the process was totally blind. And I borrowed that from Seven Seven Six, the fund, where we don't look at resumes or names or anything. Um, it's like that part of the spreadsheet is totally blocked, and it's just these long answer essays that we go through, and that's how we move people onto the second, third rounds. That's when you're like, why did I get so many people to apply? Like, how am I going to ever call this back? <laughs> well, I just want to commend you because the hyper focus on such a small subset of the age, I think is genius. And we have been keeping our eye on Gen Z and they just do not operate like anybody else. They are tech savvy. They're entrepreneurial minded. They are extremely generous and want to live this life of meaning. But they have also, to your point, with witness these global issues, you know, mm -hmm. from not even just from the climate disaster, but to economic downturns and gender inequality, racial injustice, and that's really shaped who they are. And so mm -hmm. they value their time and their money in the same way. And we just think that you have done something. You have given them a little bit of the keys to the kingdom. And I want to talk to you about this because I think the fellowship is absolutely fascinating. So talk to us about this Climate Fellows cohort. Talk about the inspiration to start it. And where did this idea come from to have this hyper-focus? Yeah, definitely. You know, I think that as simple as it is, the idea came because, I mean, climate, that is our number one disaster as 
an entire planet right now. And if we don't have somewhere to live, then truthfully, the rest of it doesn't really matter. Um, And like the communities that are affected the worst by it are the ones that can't afford it. So climate was kind of a no brainer for us. And the youth part, I think, you know, that comes a lot from Alexis's background as a founder and like knowing that young people, they have these amazing ideas, but a lot of times they take on college debt or they don't have any financial means to get a company started or they have parents who are like, you must be in university. And so having this opportunity to be given $100,000 to step away, pause school and like go build, especially in these years when you're like so excited about something and have so much energy and like you want to see change. Um, it just all that like combination of everything really made sense for us. So when we launched and I would be interviewing these people, they were like, I think my parents are going to be really upset with me if I drop out of school. And I was like, look, yeah, tell them that you can pause school. And if it doesn't work out in two years, like you can go back and finish it. Like, and also a hundred thousand dollars, like that'll do you well for a couple of years. And so we ended up with this group of 20 that a lot of them had already decided that they weren't going to finish school a lot are taking these breaks um, and some of them just never even started. I mean, I just think too, like the the wiring hasn't been fully like indoctrinated into society. Some of the like things that are expectations that are walls that maybe don't need to be walls or fences that don't need to mm-hmm. be there. So I think y'all are harnessing that curiosity and that creativity that hasn't been dulled yet maybe too. And I just think what an innovative stance, you know, to go in and do this. So, I mean, what are you seeing? Like you're now a few months along, we're recording this in November. So you're, but a few months down the road, what are you, what, what's happening with the program now? Yeah. I mean, like I can give some examples of what the fellows are working on, but like one of them dismiss, he's based in Kenya and he, he was actually enrolled in school in the States and he grew up in a family where his parents and grandparents were both farmers and he was in school in California and he was hearing about like all the produce continuing like to go to waste and like how hard it was on his family. And he was like, I feel guilty being here when like I could be solving some sort of problem for my family and everyone around my family. So he ultimately dropped out of school, moved back to Kenya, and he's created these solar-powered storage units. And basically, the farmers, because electricity is also an issue in some of these rural, rural villages in Kenya, they use these storage units for their produce. And he was telling me the other day, like he's already seeing some of them like 50 times the lifespan than what they were without. Oh my God. He's got them at 3,000 farms already. And like to me, the coolest thing when I was talking to him, when the pandemic happened and they were trying to get vaccines all around Kenya, they were using these units to store the vaccines. Now he has antibiotics, medicines, like everything in these. And it's like, he is changing Kenya, like on a different scale than I don't even think he could have imagined. And he's like 21 years old. And it's (laughs) like, 
four months in. I'm like, yeah, this. we're six <laughs> months in. Okay, Dismas, how are you going to get this over to <laughs> Western, you know, Western Africa and Sub-Sahara? Totally. And that that is his plan. He's like, I'm just now going to like keep building. And I was asking him the other day, I was like, do you want to make this like a venture backed company or do you want to keep it as a nonprofit? And he was like, I want it to continue to say a nonprofit and I want to get it in as many places as I can. And I was like, you're such an amazing human. I know. <laughs> like, I want to hug him so badly. And I think this is the this is the beauty of what you've done here. You don't just drop the cash and, and back up and walk away. Yeah, no. And this is the beauty, I think, of this hands-on initiative. It's not just cash-led. You have opened up your network. You have flexed the what the cohort is learning, you know, so that the co-learning is part of the culture of this process. You're sharing your influence. You're sharing what you have in multiple ways, and it allows the dream to scale. I mean, I'm really curious what your long-term plan is. I I think of Dismas, I think of all of these individuals that I'm looking in your team, which, I mean, each one is more impressive than the next. And I love the global presence Mm -hmm. that they have because you're right. The way that the environment is collapsing in different parts of the world is different. And the way we have to address it has got to be, you know, in these really ingenuity like minded ways. And so what are you going to do? Like when you start having five, six, seven cohorts, you know, seven years down, but cohort number one is still scaling and growing. I mean, you just must be like a proud parent watching all of your (laughs) graduates grow up and like change the world. So yeah, no, it is. I mean, I definitely, I've been feeling that. I mean, I feel that every time I do these monthly one-on-ones with them and then we also do these group monthly meetings where everyone gives an update on their progress of their project. Um, but I, this week, we have a couple climate fellows who are on the youth activism side, and they're at COP27. And I'm like mm-hmm. getting videos and photos from them. And they're like meeting with prime ministers and like the UN president. And I'm like, this, I feel like I am your proud parent right now. Like, I'm so excited, so proud. Um, But when I think about the future, I mean, the person that started this foundation is the king of community. And I think that whatever we do with this fellowship program, the center of it will always be community. And I want the fellows to always be a part of 776, part of the fellowship. And yes, it is a two-year program, but I don't see a world in which they ever really like leave. Yes, technically they'll graduate, but um, I think, you know, we'll continue to do these yearly meetups with everyone. And we also, the fund runs on this software called Cerebro. That okay, is, can we talk about that name? Yeah, y'all gotta, y'all gotta like break down the meaning of this. For all too. the X-Men so fans out there <laughs> like myself, the Cerebro is the most brilliant name for your CRM and your tech integration. So brilliant. I mean, this is like Alexis's brainchild. It's Cerebro is amazing. Alexis, I think he, I'll send the link, but he did a demo of something recently and he posted it to LinkedIn and I had so many people send it to me and they're like, wait, this is what you've been talking about? (laughs) Uh, But it basically is internal software that the fund uses and the foundation uses. And 
we log everything from contacts. I think there are 50,000 contacts in there to any type of meeting, any like press hit that happens for a portfolio company or a fellow. Um, And then we have these other like groups where the fellows can talk to one another. Um, And it's like, here's a grant I saw for carbon sequestrian, like who's interested. And then they like can be in the chat together. Um, And then like we have features where you can request an intro to someone working in carbon. Like it's yes, it is. It has everything. It's amazing. (laughs) Cerebro may save the world right here. (laughs) I know. But like, I think with Cerebro, that will also keep all of these fellows connected to one another because they'll always have that and they'll be in that system. And um, especially like as it grows, I mean, we'll have 40 fellows in April and then a year from then 60. Like it's just, I'm going to have so many of these people under 30. Like it's wild. (laughs) And they're all changing the way that we interact and we interface. And I think one of the great things about Gen Z, and I want to get your take on this, is, you know, one, to John's point, they don't see walls. Two, they're fearless in what they want to pursue. And you have given them, I think I said this before, the the keys to the kingdom. You've opened up everything that you have. I mean, and as a fundraiser, you know, a recovering fundraiser, I would be salivating at the opportunity Mm -hmm. to know where the grants are or where I can get an intro from. Mm -hmm. And just having a hub is so important. And to even just think about the knowledge base, you are democratizing this intelligence and these findings, and it's only going to help the group, the the sector, the world run faster toward these issues. And so I, I'm just curious from your vantage point, Lissy, what have you learned and what are you continuing to learn about the way that Gen Z is solving problems? Yeah, I mean, I think what you were saying earlier, John, about the no walls, like that is absolutely part of the way they think. And I think that they they see these issues, they don't see anyone solving it. And so they are going to do what they can to figure out the best way to make it happen. And like for me, speaking with a lot of the fellows, like they have these amazing ideas, companies that they want to start. And they thought that the only way to do that was to get, you know, like venture back money. And then these, I mean, I am a VC also, not ownership, but like, because there are opportunities now for grants where they don't have to give away a portion of their company at 19 years old, it gives them the freedom and the creativity to keep building and pivoting and finding out where solutions need to happen. So I do, I do think that they are like, the most motivated group of people right now totally, Um, and for good reason uh and also like extremely determined to solve all of these climate issues i mean so many issues but me specifically working with climate i mean i love that you're painting that picture because i don't think they have that rep from like the older generations looking down and i think we love to like bring these conversations up because this is reality. I mean, this is, you bring about Dismas and it's like that conversation where clearly he has figured something out. Like he has made this breakthrough. But for mm-hmm. him to have the humility and the centering at his age to know that he doesn't care about his part of that as much as he just wants the solution. 
like totally. that warms my heart to like he a wants level. To keep a nonprofit. He wants like, to keep right? a nonprofit. Yeah. But even if he didn't, like it wouldn't necessarily make it bad. But I love that. I love just that that storyline and the the themes that you're lifting just support that so much and what you're seeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. It, we have this other fellow, Roya, and she she's been a scientist since she was 12. And, uh, you know, she's 22. So I'm not casual. Not too long. Right. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> but she, she saw in the labs that all of this like human error kept happening. It was like, you know, you could find some experiment to work on a medicine, but it's like, even if there was like a hand movement and like a tiny droplet spilled, like the experiment would be over. And she had this friend who was working on an experiment. She spent two months, I think Roya said, trying to figure out where the hole was and like why she could not replicate. And it came down to the scientist that had wrote the original experiment, the handwriting. She thought it said milliliters. It was like nanoliters. And so she had spent two and a half months, she was a student, just trying to solve this. And it's like, the reality is labs, like they don't have the resources, the time, the money to put in two and a half months to try to replicate an experiment. And so Roya, going through these issues, she was like, I am going to build fully automated synthetic bio labs so that no one else has to deal with this human error. And it's like to have the like thought to even be like, I'm the one that's gonna to solve this. Like I this is on me and my friends are dealing with this. I'm dealing with this. And so I'm gonna make this better and fix it. And like she is. She fully is already building this robot that I call it's like a Lego. It's using (laughs) like all these different Lego parts depending on the lab and what they need and it's like code, all of the things. I'm like, she she just wanted to solve it. And so she decided to. John, that's perfect up your alley. Like your, your family like could be Lincoln's synthetic biologists. Right we could yeah. do this. You would love this. <laughs> I do think, you know, if you're sitting back there and you're saying, why do I care about Gen Z? Why do I care about Gen Z right now? I'm here to tell you, we've had many conversations about why Gen Z is absolutely pivotal to philanthropy in this moment right now. One, we want to try to hire them into what we're doing because of these mentalities. And they may seem to some like, I want to say reckless because nonprofit moves so glacially slow and Gen Z does not. They're not going to wait for us. And so if you're trying to recruit these sort of individuals to come into your culture and your organization, you have to understand that you're going to have to think differently. You're going to have to resource them differently. You're going to have to give them space to be creative because if we're not moving fast enough in our nonprofits, they're going to go to a social enterprise. They're going to build it themselves to your point. And I think this is a great thing. I mean, we're looking what's happened. I think Greta Thunberg is just one of those those individuals who at mm-hmm. 14 or 15 stood up and said, no, I'm not mm-hmm. going to stand for this. And we're going to build global movements that hit this between the eyes. And I don't think the age is a barrier in the way that we have placed yeah. these youth. I think just equipping them. And I have to, let, let me brag on my child for one, one second here, because I got a little environmentalist at my house. And I remember her at four years old coming because she to us and saying, I want a way to pick up trash easier. Because she used to love, she still loves to go and pick up trash. 
And at four years old, she sat down and like drew out this belt. And it ended up being like a belt with holes and little grommets and you could put carabiners in it. And she ended up putting all her little Walmart sacks around it so she could fill with her little (laughs) trash grabber more easily. And I think about how many kids are there out there right now who are thinking of ideas and ways to solve the problems in in a unique in different fashion and how do we equip them? And I just I just would love to pitch this to you, Lissy, to just throw some examples. I threw that one out there because I can brag on Sophia. She's the greatest environmentalist I know. But give mm-hmm. us some examples of how Gen Z is changing the world through these yeah. little ingenuity ideas, through social enterprise solutions. I would love to hear some of your stories. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's interesting that you bring up the Greta point because so we, like I mentioned, we have a few youth activists uh, in the fellowship. It was really important for us to make sure that that group of young people was represented. And one of them was telling me the other day that although youth are like the main movers and leaders in the climate crisis, 0.76% of money that's going toward climate change is going to the youth in these movements, which is an insanely small amount of money when you think about like the scale and impact that they're having, especially on a global level. Um, So I just had to say that since you brought up Greta. Um, Love her. Yeah. Or we have like uh, this woman, Valkyrie. She grew up in Las Vegas. Her co-founder grew up in Canada. They both talked a lot about forest fires and how firefighters are always at the front lines. Like why are there humans at the front lines of these fires when like technology and every other aspect has evolved? And so they are creating this technology using drones plus like force to pause the fires before humans can get there to slow it down. Oh my gosh. I'm like freaking out because also what a masterclass and like there's so many ways to attack these problems, you know, using the power of media to make this like these short films and using tech and drones to fight the actual fires today, but planning oh, for tomorrow. Like fashion I mean, and solar panels. It's I, just amazing. Yeah. yeah. I think the other two thing that the other thing that we've talked a lot about with the fellows, uh, we do these monthly speaker series where I bring in someone who has worked in climate and they talk about their journey and how they got there. You know, it ranges from people who work at the White House to founders. And we had one woman who was like a policy climate person speak and One of my fellows, he is a data scientist and he was working on batteries. And after this specific talk, he came to me and he was like, hey, I want to pitch a new concept to you and I want to pivot my idea. He was like, because I can't stop thinking about all of these people who don't have experience working in climate, but there's going to be a job situation that comes up for people and they don't, they don't know how to work in climate tech. Like, I don't want to leave everyone behind. So like, how are we going to get them into these jobs? And I was like, yes, of course. Yes. Yes. More of this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, you've led us into a lot of cool stories, but I know your journey and your winding path has probably led you to a point where you've seen philanthropy in action in a moment where you're like, okay, this really 
this really has stuck with me as something really poignant. Would you take us back to one of those moments where philanthropies impacted you? Yeah. You know, my parents were definitely, they are very um, big into giving back into the community. And so I definitely felt like I always had that um, as part of me. And I think like the moment where I saw it, like a lot of impact, I was working for Alexis and Hurricane Maria had just happened. It was the one that was devastating Puerto Rico, Florida, some other small islands. And I was in Florida at the time, um, enjoying Alexis's paid leave. (laughs) I was also on parental leave. (laughs) And um, my old boss, Orlando Bravo, was in Florida. And he is a very successful private equity guy. And uh, he was taking his plane back and forth from Miami to Puerto Rico with tons of supplies, cell phones, water, diapers, beds, literally everything. He was just doing these trips back and forth. And so I went one morning at 4am and just helped him load the plane to take supplies. And I remember when he got back from one of the first trips and we were talking about it, just like the I think it was the impact that one person could have, especially when it didn't feel like the government or anyone else was helping and like hearing how grateful people were to just even have drinking water. Like I, I remember that being like a big, big pivotal moment for me and thinking like, I think this is the world that I definitely want to work in. And then more recently, I feel like we can all relate to the Patagonia founder, CEO, oh, and everything that he what a just hero. did. Yeah. yeah, I think it was, what did he say? Like, uh, purpose over profit. And it's like, that is such a humbling, amazing, yes. And this company belongs to the earth. Oh, I mean, the people who are changing the way we think changing the way that we interface and the world is becoming more digital by the day. And I think that we have to remember our humanity, you know, in everything that we do. And it comes back to that purpose because you remember that feeling at 4 Mm a.m. and you're, and you're trying to picture these faceless people who are so desperate. And I mean, that's a high, we just want to keep chasing over and over. And I think you're doing it. So Lissy, we we end all of our podcast episodes asking our guests to share a one good thing with us and wonder what that would be for you. That could be a life hack. It could be a quote or a mantra. Um, what would you offer up to our community today? Yeah, I think that, hey, I love that question. Be, I feel like as silly as this sounds, I think that connecting people like humans and the synergy that you get from that, I mean, I see it pretty much daily with the fellows and what they're building and like how I can best help them is connecting them to people in different areas, especially, you know, at 18, 19 years old, like you haven't had that much life experience and you haven't been around like that many people or companies. And so I think being able to support them in that way has been like this daily gift that I get to keep giving. I love that. Because I mean, this whole conversation, I keep thinking like there's so much power in being the one to raise your hand and be like, I'm going to step into this problem. 
but it's like we know we can't actually do it by ourselves either. And yeah, like totally. you're rounding this out by saying that support piece and encircling people with support and connection. Like that's and that's cup filling. It's like our favorite thing to do too. Now that totally we have our met so thing. many amazing people. Yeah. And Lissy is like the human cerebro. Can we talk about Seriously? that? Seriously. <laughs> like it takes the tech to do all of the tech and the automations in the background, but it does take a human. To be, I, I think of like Tom Cruise's character on Minority Report. Like Lissy is just standing there, moving all of the screens and connecting all around all the, the world, dots. all of her people. Yes, it's oh so cool God. to think about. I love it. Well, I mean, people are going to want to connect with you. I, we all want to connect with you. So point to all the ways y'all show up online and where we can follow you, and just connect us on all the things for seven seven six. Yeah, of course. We'll definitely follow the seven seven six Foundation Twitter account because I. Daily, uh, we have posts about what the fellows are working on and updates and who they're meeting with. And yeah, so that is a great account to follow to do all things for the foundation. Then, of course, the fund is 776. (laughs) We'll keep it all very easy. Um, And then I'm on Twitter at Garvin Lizzie. Love it. And then, of course, Alexis. Alexis is like follow. I mean, and at the end of the day, all of this is possible because of his $20 million grant that he gave to the foundation. And I'm a firm believer that that is going to be compounded in so many ways over the next course of the years, and it's going to be a great investment. So thank you, Lissy. We are we are so excited to have this conversation on the very front end of this journey. I think it's going to be just so wholesome to watch you grow up and to watch what's going to happen. I'm just going to put out into the universe. I hope there are so many kids that are listening or parents or people who are climate activists who listen to this episode and rewire your brain with, does my kid literally have to go to college right at 18 and know exactly who they want to be? If this is a place they could pour their gifts into, check it out. So thank you, my friend. Love the conversation. Just know we're rooting for you and we can't wait to see what comes out of this. Yes, thank you. And also, if you are one of these youth, the second cohort does open applications in March and they will be every year. So so look for We Are For Good and please give your pup a little hug from us. He needs some attention. <laughs> and thank <laughs> you. We, we're, we're just so geeked out about this. So keep us posted. Yes. Amazing. So grateful for you. Thank you. This has been amazing. Thank you. This was such a fun conversation. Hey friends, thanks so much for being here. Did you know we create a landing page for each podcast episode with helpful links, freebies, and even shareable graphics? Be sure to check it out at the link in this episode's description. You probably hear it in our voices, but we love connecting you with the most innovative people to help you achieve more for your mission than ever before. We'd love for you to join our good community. It's free, and you can think of it as the after party to each podcast episode. You can sign up today at weareforgood.com backslash hello. One more thing, if you loved what you heard today, would you mind leaving us a podcast rating and review? It means the world to us and your support helps more people find our community. Thanks, friends. I'm our producer, Julie Comfer, and our theme song is Sunray by Remy Borsboom. Rabbit fans have always powered the We Are For Good podcast, but now Rabbit fans can get even more goodness and access by joining Good Friends. It's our listener support community for the We Are For Good podcast. Good Friends comes with perks, exclusive episodes with John and I, including The Good Brief, our new monthly cliff notes of the greatest takeaways and lessons learned from that month, 
and exclusive AMA episodes where we answer your burning questions and tap our community of experts. Join now or learn more at weareforgood.com backslash friends. We can't wait to see you inside. That's weareforgood.com slash friends.